This is Ron Thurston, the best-selling author of Retail Pride, and today I'm live in Portland with Josh Hagquist, the head of retail for Prana. Welcome to Retail in America. This podcast is part of the Retail in America tour, my year-long journey to discover incredible retail heroes all across the country, celebrating our retail culture, community, and careers. Go to retailpride.com or on Instagram at retailpride to see it all, including past podcast episodes, playlists, and future cities on the tour. But before we get started with Josh, I want to thank the three important title sponsors for the Retail in America tour and this podcast. Spotify Advertising. Spotify has grown to over 420 million monthly unique registered users around the globe, over half of which are supported on the ad platform. Spotify Advertising will help you reach and target your audience across devices, locations, and formats. Ubic. Over 300 companies in 80 countries trust Ubic to drive their retail performance at scale, get real-time visibility into multi-location business execution, digitized task management, and consistent digital mobile learning for their teams. And KWI. KWI is the industry's only true turnkey omni-channel platform for specialty retailers. With over 35 years of experience, let KWI help you execute flawlessly with the features that matter most, including endless aisle, clienteling, mobile checkout, inventory management, e-commerce, and more. The links to learn about all three of these great brands will be in the show notes, and at retailpride.com. So with that, let's get started. Hi, Josh. Welcome to Retail in America. Thanks for having me today. Of course. Excited to be here. We are in a city that you don't live in. We're going to talk about that. But we're in beautiful RV Park here south of Portland on a beautiful morning. So thank you for meeting me sitting here together in the Airstream. Yeah, it's awesome. I want an Airstream now. (laughs) We were introduced to each other because Prana, who you work for, um, is a customer of KWI. And we started talking about having an event together here in Portland during the Retail in America tour, which we did last night. We'll talk about that. Uh, But as I've gotten to know you over the last couple of months and I heard your story, you were someone that I really wanted to be able to articulate and kind of why, because you have this beautiful mix of music and service and retail and wanted to share your story. So I'm really glad that you're here. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. It's been really rewarding on all those levels. It's taken a lot of time. (laughs) So a lot of patience on my part and other people's part for sure. So I'm gonna share a little bit about you and then we're gonna jump into some questions. So Josh Hagwist is the manager of retail for Prana, but you're based out of San Diego where their corporate office is. You've been in retail and hospitality since your first job at 16 as a stock person and cashier at a small bookstore. You made $3.75 an hour, I'm not gonna ask what year that was, and got your first (laughs) taste of customer-facing service. After college, you plunged into the music world to tour, put out records, travel with your friends, and follow your passion for all things music, uh, almost exclusively for six years. And you landed at Starbucks, where you say you were lucky to have some amazing mentors and leaders who helped shape your ethos around the customer experience and team building. And after Starbucks, you went on for almost 10 years at Stone Brewing, managing multiple locations, 
building high-performing teams, telling the stone story to hundreds of thousands of patrons. Your retail and life journey brought you to Prana in 2021, where their passion for outdoors and sustainability was something that really resonated with you. You still put out records. You have a new release out, which yep. I want to hear more about. Play the occasional show um, and make live music. You're also an avid hiker, backpacker, and explorer, usually found on a random trail or remote road somewhere with your camera looking for obscure historical stuff. It's very true. Very true. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, thinking about retail in America, and I know Portland's not your hometown, but what can you tell us about Portland specifically in the community here? So we're really lucky to be on Northwest 23rd. Um, it's definitely a community. You know, there's tons of residential, old apartment buildings, uh, houses that have been there for a hundred years. And it's very much not gentrified. So there are some bigger brands intermixed with some smaller brands. Uh, there's retail, there's food, there's small shops, there's convenience stores, things like that. But it's been a really cool thing to see this street. Just It could be in anywhere in any big city that has its own culture that's kind of removed from the downtown, removed from the tourist area that's truly local. And has a local feel to it. There's a lot of camaraderie between the brands that are on the street, you know, especially with the outdoor brands. Mm -hmm. um, I saw Snow Peak. Snow Peak is there, and I believe that's their North American headquarters as well. Arcteryx is there, Cotopaxi, Marine Layer. So mm -hmm. pure brands in the sense that we're in the outdoor industry, but a lot of camaraderie between store managers and a lot of communication there. Just, hey, we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. There are challenges to being in a big city and to being in Portland, but the community surrounding us is fantastic. Mm. Every time I come up here, I'm really thankful that we're on Northwest 23rd and we're a, a vital part of this community. Yeah. I think you had mentioned it feels almost like a neighborhood in San Francisco, yeah. or you know, I, I could say that about San Diego as well. There are these little pockets that kind of do their own thing and have their own identity that's not prefab. Right. That has kind of come out organically. And so just walking down 23rd, it's kind of a random mix of things, but it's really cool because yeah. it, it wasn't some Truman Show-esque area that was concocted by a, a marketing team. It's evolved organically over the last couple of decades, it looks like, or longer. Yeah, longer. You pointed out last night to me some brands that have been there, bars for how many years? Since you said 60s? Cornblatt's Kosher Deli has been there I think for 60 years, New York Pizza right next door has been there for 50 years. Wow. It's really fun to be a part of that area. Yeah, I can see that. So before we get more into you, I want the audience to learn more about Prana um, because yeah. it has a relatively small retail footprint, mm -hmm. but is doing really interesting things, has a great story. So tell us more just about Prana. So we were started in 1992 by Beaver and Pam, a couple that wanted to make sustainably made, ethically made climbing and yoga gear, because that's what they were passionate about. So we've been around for 30 years now. We are uh, one of the emerging brands uh, under the Columbia Sportswear umbrella. So we're really, really thankful to be a part of that bigger network. Columbia has been around forever, and it's a fantastic company to be partnered with. 
we make sustainable clothing. We make ethically sourced clothing that's high quality that you can use for a variety of activities. So yoga is a huge part of our business. Hiking, mm -hmm. climbing is a huge part of our business, but also lifestyle, yeah. you know? And so I think in coming to Prana, I always respected Prana as a brand. I respected the ethos behind it, being mindful of our environment, being mindful of the things that we're doing as a business. And then coming here was really awesome for me because it wasn't just lip service. It wasn't just a message on a website. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we believe in are respect and responsibility for the environment, adventure for all, not being gatekeepers mm -hmm. to this cool club that's very exclusive that you know, you're not allowed to be in. And um, progress, not perfection, which I think is the biggest one mm. for me. There's a quote that I'm, and I'm totally going to butcher the quote, but Simon Sinek is an author that I really like, mm -hmm. you know, finding your why. And it really resonated with me, but he, he said something about seeing your ideas come to fruition and you try and you experiment and you iterate and then you fail and then you repeat those things, mm. you know, so being in a culture that thinks like that and gives me the latitude to try new things for retail and try to grow the business has been huge, mm. like mind blowing and paradigm shifting because I haven't necessarily had that in other jobs. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't been something that's been built into the ethos of a company. Mm. Hey, it's okay to, to not hit the mark on this mm. idea that you have. Let's try it again. Mm. Maybe I'll try something different. Mm. So I like having that. that. So good. working for Prana has been really refreshing for me. Yeah. Um, because the values are really lived out mm -hmm. um, instead of, you know, you have the fancy website and it's your mission statement. We all see those, right? We do. And then you hear stories about, oh, it's a terrible place to work. And it very... may look good on the outside, but how they may function on the inside feels different. Absolutely. You know, than, than how it's portrayed. Absolutely. And, and it's easy to have that portrayal and curate the way that you want people to see you. Yeah. But when you're working in a place and you see it actually lived out and you see collaboration between all the different channels and people genuinely wanting to help, I want yeah. retail to succeed. I work in material sourcing, but I want to help you with this. Mm. Or I work in uh, product design, but I want to help you educate your team. Yeah. That's huge for me. Yeah. And it's very much appreciated. So Prana's been great. I absolutely love my job. I'm not being forced to say that. <laughs> There's no one uh, threatening me or anything. I, I work with great people. My boss, Christine, is just a visionary leader. And I am very grateful to be, you know, working under her and being a part of, you know, the D2C team. Incredible. Yeah. I can really get a sense of your pride around that. I was going to ask you, you know, what are you most proud of? But you articulated it yourself. You know, you're I was jumping you're, ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. You're proud to work there. That means a lot in your role as a leader. Mm -hmm. Because I think all of us that have had multi-store leadership roles, the one they watch the most is you. You know, that person that like how do you speak about the brand? What do you say? Where does your pride show up in the company you work for and the in the way that it works? And what you just said people that work for you, with you, and would hear you say that would want to follow you. You, yeah. you can get that sense. And that feels awesome. great. Yeah, it's from a sincere place. And it's, I know we had talked about this before off the mic, <laughs> but 
when you believe in what you sell or you believe in the, the company that you work for, it's so easy. I mean, it just pours out of you and it's undeniable. And so it's very easy for me to wax poetic on Prana and go into the stores and meet with my teams and be excited and talk to customers and be excited because I'm also a customer. I wear our Rezion pants when I hike and shorts when I hike. I wear the clothes all the time because I, I have the clothes <laughs> to wear all the time. But you look great in them. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. It makes it so much easier to have enthusiasm and have that passion when it's from a genuine place. Whether it's the music you like or the music you make or the job you have or whatever, if you're bought into that and you believe in it, look out. Because you don't need a commission to do that. Correct. You don't need accolades every day to do that. You don't need uh, anything beyond the thing you believe in. And right. it's really, really cool. And yeah, I could go on and on, but it, it's really nice to work for a company that has values and cares about things beyond just, yeah. you know, oh, we sell cool clothes. You know, it's, right. it's, it's really cool. How does this work today in more kind of the apparel world as opposed to your, and I'm growing up in hospitality, Starbucks, mm -hmm. Stone, how does that feel different or where is it the same? Like, tell us a little bit more about your career journey. So I think the similarities outweigh the differences. You can plug in craft beer and lifestyle clothing and outdoor clothing. The thing doesn't necessarily matter. Mm -hmm. On the retail side of it, it's how do we give the customer the best experience that they can have? How can we connect with that customer so they're interested in what we have to offer? or make that connection with them. So now they're connected on an emotional level and are really excited about what we do. So with Starbucks, when I was there, I had a couple really solid mentors when it came to, cause I had come off the road from touring <laughs> and I had needed to get a job basically. And I had never worked at a Starbucks. I'd never made lattes for people. And I had a pretty limited knowledge of coffee at that point as well. But I had a manager, Angela, and she hired me on the spot. Probably didn't look the most professional. Like I said, <laughs> just came off tour. Probably pretty you're, haggard. You're the rock star. Exactly. <laughs> and not super enthused about going back into the regular job world at that time. She took a chance on me and showed me, hey, you know, I want to make sure you have tools that you need to be successful, like really worked with me on the training, mm. paired me up with really solid people. So I had some peer-to-peer -peer trainers mm. and shadow people. Okay. And she was passionate about teams and making sure that we were in a good place. You know, it was in downtown San Diego. It was in a pretty crazy spot surrounded by bars and clubs. So Fridays and Saturday nights closing at one Oh, wow. Was a serious job, <laughs> a serious uh, corralling of personalities <laughs> and things like that. But no, I, she was one of the people that was pretty instrumental. And then my manager trainer uh, was named Tobias. And Tobias, he was a good builder of teams. He hired really well mm. and hired the right people. And they were all different personalities, but they all gelled. And they were able to kind of wrap their brain around what his vision was and he got buy-in from them. And that was kind of the thing that really solidified that idea of hiring well, being methodical about it, and then having a diverse team with a unified vision. Yeah. 
And so Toby, Tobias, was pretty instrumental in that. And I really learned a lot working from him. I had a great district manager, Angela, at the time that was really good about development and making sure, again, giving us tools to expand our, our learning, tools to expand our skill set. It was a good environment. Wow. For sure. I love what you just kind of articulated, Josh, because it's it could be copy-pasted into any traditional retail environment. You hire well, you provide resources, you mentor and you inspire and you build this diverse group of humans who can create magic together. That, that is such a beautiful way to articulate great restaurant, retail, Starbucks, Prana, any brand I've worked for, like that is when magic happens. Absolutely, and, and you can take craft beer for instance so the people that worked for me at stone okay you need to know our core beers how they're made you need to know where we started where we're going uh you need to know all the stats we always call them staggering stats of we brewed four hundred and seventy thousand barrels of beer last year and i was also in charge of the tour department so we would have people coming in that wanted to take a tour of the brewery. So you had to be really knowledgeable. But if you can learn craft beer, well, you can change craft beer with hiking clothes. Mm -hmm. So I need you to know everything about our Rezion made from recycled nylon. These are the features. Learn this. Wear it. Have that personal connection to it. And then share that with the customer. It doesn't matter what the thing is. If you're passionate about it, easy. 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 I know. In some ways, I think what you're describing is a mystery to people, which is why I'm digging deep here. My perception is often people need to stay in the same product category or lifestyle in order for that to happen. And I've said that about my own career, where I've sold baby clothes and computers and furniture and luxury handbags. I've sold all kinds of different things. I've not worked in hospitality or food, but the idea of you can use those same core skills and sell anything. Yeah. And it's so true in our industry. That's so wide. But what you're describing is such a fascinating conversation, I think, for leaders to really wrap your head around. You can go anywhere. You yeah. can do anything. I'm really thankful because, you know, when I interviewed for the position at Prana, we sold T-shirts and hoodies and accessories and baseball caps. And we sold all that at Stone. And we sold a ton of it. Mm. Everybody that came in wanted to buy our apparel. And it looked great. And it was way cooler than any other brewery. You know, <laughs> it wasn't just the extra. It's a cool brand. It yeah. is. They did a good job. But I'm really thankful that when I interviewed and, you know, Christine asked me about apparel and things, I was familiar with Prana. And, you know, as a hiker, I use gear that I like. I wasn't endorsed by anyone, mm -hmm. but she saw that concept as well. And she was open to me instead of hiring maybe someone that worked at, you know, Guess or right. Hollister that maybe had more experience with actual retail apparel. And I look at that when I look at people to hire as well. I try to get my managers to understand this, that especially for sales associate and supervisor positions, they don't have to be from apparel. They can be a musician who came off the street and not know anything about coffee, and they can 
turn that into a retail career. Yep. Not by choice. Yep. So it's look beyond that and you're going to find great people. You're going to find incredible people and taking that risk as Christine did with you yeah. to say, I see something about Josh. Like maybe there was an energy or there was something about you that showed great potential. And, and how do we do that as leaders? Yeah. I'm going to take a break with Josh and share with you another podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. The Rethink Retail podcast features discussions with a diverse cast of brand founders, leaders, and change makers about the trends and innovations that redefine the retail industry. Through conversations with executives from iconic companies like Starbucks, Ulta Beauty, Google, and Coach, as well as new players like Showfields and Neighborhood Goods, the Rethink Retail podcast is one of my go-to sources for candid discussions on what's new in retail today. The show also features a roster of guest hosts from top academic institutions and key industry influencers from the world's best recognized research companies, retail associations, and think tanks. Check them out right here on Spotify or on your favorite podcast app. And with that, let me get back to my conversation with Josh. So maybe we can jump into a little bit more about who inspires you. Like, where's your biggest inspiration come from? I know you're outside, you're a hiker. You know, I'm sure there's inspiration that comes there. But where else does it come? So music would probably be a huge part of what fuels me. You know, just growing up in a musical family, my mom was a pianist. There was music going all the time. She introduced me to rock and roll. You know, my dad likes music but isn't musical by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> although he th probably thinks he is. Um, but my mom introduced me to the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, mind blown. You know, mm -hmm. I'm eight years old getting to listen to, you know, Revolution by the Beatles, which was really awesome. But music has, has been that source for me, that touch point where I want my hair blown back. Like, whatever I do, I always jokingly say that. Like, does it blow your hair back? Like, does it stir something inside you that motivates you, that, that brings you joy. So music would probably be the thing that has been the, the most influential in me. Outdoors, I've always been interested in history. Uh, like you said before, some obscure history thing, but I'm really fascinated with just weird outdoor places, remote places, mines, abandoned cars, it doesn't matter, you know, an indigenous village from a thousand years ago. Like, I, I love finding these places. So I was always interested in that. And then I really started to get into hiking and work on my personal health. When COVID hit, I used to smoke a pack a day, a cigarette. I would go look at stuff and maybe walk around, but I wasn't the most healthy person. And so when COVID hit, I just it really shifted my priorities. And so I really started to get outside and be intentional about it. And I find a lot of inspiration in being outdoors wow. and being in the middle of Death Valley by myself mm. and just enjoying the solitude and the beauty of it too. Yeah. There's authors that I really like, like Michael Diganet is an author that's written about like all the deserts in California oh. to like excruciating detail i mean they're just amazing it's like the the scriptures of death valley he's written about it but he's very poetic as well so okay. it's, it's a very technical view but a very romantic setting okay so that's been inspirational you know i mentioned simon sinek before like from a retail perspective taking those concepts and 
transferring them over to retail and my job, like that's been really motivational for me. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of encouraging words kind of called from, from his work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those would be the things that really blow my hair back. I think when it comes, that's a very overarching view, but. Right. You've referenced a few people's names. Is there any one in particular that you give credit to for your success so far and, and the future success you'll have? I think in general, it would probably be my mom. Mm. I mean, that would be, she's the one that set me up um, with music, also with work work ethic. My mom had a tremendous work ethic, and it was ingrained in me at a very young age. You want something, you work for it, and you work hard for it. My mom passed away in 1996, but I still hold on to those things. Yeah. So that would be probably my biggest motivator, influence, yeah. you know? Right. And now that you've had the opportunity to work on this side of, of the business, this, you know, as if it's mine, but when I, you know, say kind of the more traditional retail, what is your perception of kind of the future of this business? Do you have thoughts about how the retail industry is evolving? Yeah, I do. And this is just my opinion, but I think that the future of brick and mortar retail is really positive. And for as much as people talk about e-com and they talk about the convenience of having something delivered same day, it'll never replicate the experience. And I think as we get more engrossed in a culture that is everything's instantaneous and everything's at your fingertips on your phone. And while you are connected globally to billions of people, you are disconnected from life in a lot of ways. And I think the advantage and the advantage that retail will always have is we provide the personal connection. We provide that interaction. And so I see retail growing and I see it getting really focused on the curated experience. I see it getting focused on that. I say this, but I think it's going old school with mm-hmm. retail, calling people. If they give you their phone number and we're holding an item for them, we're going to call you. We have your name, so we're going to call you by your name, which automatically creates connection. And we're going to call you and see if there's anything else that we can do for you. Maybe we can start pulling some items out of our next drop that you we think you would like. And getting very traditional with it, because I think a lot of those concepts, as we've become more technologically advanced, have been discarded. And I love that. And maybe there's a bias there, because I'm the consumer that if I go into a store and I'm a regular, and they know my name, Mm -hmm. and they know what I like, and they know the brand that I like. So if I go into a store and they say, oh, we just got in new La Sportiva shoes, I know that that's been your purchase the last three years, four mm-hmm. years, five years. I'm excited about that. And I'm going to go back because yep. there's that connection. We're loyal. Yeah. So I really see the future of brick and mortar as being just, there's no ceiling to it. We need to work on elevating the customer experience and the shopping experience, whether that's using digital things like video and creating environments that are interactive. I think people want that. Instead of just, oh, there's a sign on the wall. No, here's a display that is tangible and you can touch. This is the first item that Pam and Beaver made. Come in and experience that. 
and see the lineage there. I love that. I, I'm a sucker for yeah. all of that. <laughs> so I think that if we do those things, there's really no ceiling and we can continue to push the boundaries and push that customer experience to the nth degree. A hundred percent agree with you. And the idea of we can continually reinvent this conversation and continually recreate what that looks like. Mm -hmm. you know, no one has said, this is exactly how it should be today, tomorrow, and forever. Yeah. It's completely fluid. It's completely whatever is right for that brand. And I believe what's right for that customer today is yeah. going maybe different tomorrow. And that's what great leadership is. That's what great retail is. It's mm -hmm. this constant state of growth and inspiration and test and learn and curating this team of humans together, as you described earlier. Like that is an everyday effort. Mm -hmm. And that's it's limitless. I love that you said yeah. like there's no ceiling, but we have the ability to do that in many ways, the responsibility as retailers to do that every mm -hmm. day. And I love that that's where your art is. Yeah, it's been great. The person who handles our retail VM, her name's Beth. She's a visual merchandising wizard, mm -hmm. really great at it, especially when there's tight budgets involved. She does a good job with what we're given. And uh, we both follow this Instagram page. It's visual merchandising. It's an Instagram that showcases Park Avenue, mm -hmm. the three-story Louis Vuitton. You know, they've spent $5 million on their windows, and it's the most amazing thing. But I love seeing this. She got me turned on to this, but I love seeing those things because you can see that obviously money is a factor, but their people are thinking without a ceiling. Yeah. And they're creating these experiences, whether a mix of physical and digital assets, and they're creating this experience for the customer to come in. You know, it doesn't have to look like Disneyland, but you can do it in a way that connects with them on an emotional level, whether it's, you know, our one of our climbers is Chris Sharma, who's a world-class one of the best rock climbers on earth. And the things that he climbs are insane. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like an Alex Honnold. Like, you see, you know, you watch Free Solo and you're like, I don't yeah, understand how that, this works. I, I will never forget that movie. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's it's incredible. But, you know, we have uh, Diego as our creative director and he takes these photos and he has all these thousands of photos and, and hours of video every time they do a shoot. And I'm like, I want the customer to see all these. Granted, we have them up in the store, but what if they're watching Chris Sharma on a wall climbing and getting to experience something like that? Or we recreate the wall out of paper mache. I, I'm totally vamping here, but uh, this isn't trademarked. No, no. <laughs> if anyone's listening, I want a royalty <laughs> off this. Um, no, like I, I think creating that in-store experience that's tangible and awe-inspiring and creates that emotional connection. Like you can do it with not a lot of money or you can do it with $5 million, $10 million. So true, yeah. so true. And if you spend $5 million on that, put equal effort into people. Absolutely. And that's where I get sometimes a bit frustrated is you know, where the resources are sometimes allocated, mm -hmm. maybe too much on that side. Sure. And then we say, yeah, but you know, no, you can't have that extra you know, part-time stock person. Yeah. You know, and so I think that there's this balance of, the window is great and the store design is great, mm -hmm. but what happened? Who is the first person that engages with that customer that has now walked in because of that window? What happens? Yeah. And is it a line that you have to wait out out front? Is it a, why are you here today mm -hmm. kind of tone? Or is it 
I'm so glad that you came into the store today. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to show you what's happening here, what's new for the season, what's inspired us right now. Like that kind of emotional connection is, mm -hmm. is where the real work happens. A hundred percent. You can have the most beautiful storefront, but if your team isn't connected and your team isn't well-trained or educated on the product and excited about it, it doesn't matter. It'll get 5,000 likes on Instagram because it's an amazing photo, but the team part of it absolutely is the most important. So building high-performing teams that know the product and are passionate about what your ethos is, that translates that has to be the foundation. Correct. Everything else is bonus. Right. So Josh, as I always do, I would love to hear your thoughts around the three pillars that I write about retail pride, empathy, curiosity, and focus, and, and how that has played maybe into your career today or as you thought about this for your, your career. Yeah. All three resonate with me in different ways. The one that was th the most important to me is empathy. And I think for me, that's the foundation where the other two can see life. Mm -hmm. For me, the foundation has to be empathy. So I know in that chapter, you were talking about communicating well. Good communication is foundational. That level of understanding. So for retail, I've been a sales associate. I've been a key holder. I've been a supervisor. I've been an assistant manager. I've been a manager. I know what that's like. I have that understanding firsthand. So when I'm speaking to sales associates, I tell them that. I let them know that I can relate to you. I know what it's like. And so much of the time, retail can be very thankless. And so having that empathy towards your teams, that drives me. That's the number one thing for me. Whether it's hiring, coaching, mentoring, I want to communicate with them directly. And being direct and being empathetic are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. I think both coexist very well. I agree. But I always want my teams to know that I understand. I listen to them. I can understand or at least try to understand where they're coming from and that their opinion or their, their uh, experience is valid. Mm -hmm. And how can we work to change it or how can we work to improve it? And so I, I believe giving that space to people is part of that empathy, mm -hmm. giving them a space to vent, always vent up. Mm -hmm. You know, my managers know, vent to me. I'm on the clock all the time, technically. And so I want you to talk to me. If you're having a struggle or you're not knowing how to approach something, I'm here for you. I may not even have the answer, but you have that space. I'm giving you that space. And I think that space is important because I get that space as right. well. But my biggest thing, along with empathy, is the communication piece of that. Your teams should always know where they stand with you. You should never walk on eggshells with your, your supervisor. Coaching, if there's a constant stream of communication that's positive, when you have to have a coaching conversation, it's not a mystery. Yep. It's not a manager coming out of the basement who never is on the floor, and you know if they come out of the office that they're going to have some <laughs> stern words for you. You know, we've all had that latent trauma of a horrible manager that we've worked for that couldn't communicate, treated us like garbage. You know, again, thankless retail, thankless received hospitality. received feedback on your annual review. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, you didn't do this right in January. It's December. Could you have told me? I wouldn't have done it that way had you told me that I was doing it wrong. But 
just that those ideas of communicating consistently, giving consistent feedback, both positive and uh, corrective, but giving that space to listen, listen to your teams, listen to how they're doing. I mean, we start our one-on-ones like that all the time. How are you doing? No, really. How so are like, you doing? Yeah, really. Yeah. Are, are you are you doing okay? You know, if I notice something or my managers notice something with their teams, are you doing all right? Not being nosy? I just want to know. You seem a little off. I care. Which blows people's minds sometimes. But you have to build that culture. You can't just hit them over the head with it. You have to, that, that has to be a part of your daily routine. Yeah. It's trust. That so, they're not going to 100%. tell you if they don't trust what you're going to do with that information. Exactly. Are you going to use it against them and, t- and gossip with the rest of the team, which that happens all the time. We've been in that situation too. Yeah, exactly. Or are you going to use it to understand better what their needs are? And hey, I'm going to have you work in the basement today. I know you're having a rough day. I know family stuff's tough. Work in the basement. This is between you and I. This is not a public conversation. And I'm going to have you do some training today. How does that sound? That's great. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll be ready tomorrow. You have to listen. So that was my foundational thing that I really appreciated. All three are great. That's the core. Yeah. So let's wrap up and tell us about your band. I want people to follow. I've heard your music. Awesome. Um, I think it's a nice, really nice compliment to you know, how incredibly inspirational you are. So tell us about your, your band and your music and where people can find you. Awesome. So I do a band called The Beautiful Mistake. It's heavier. It's spacey. It can be aggressive. But I used to tour. That's the band I used to tour with. And we got back together after a long hiatus in 2018 and played some shows. And we put out a new EP in 2020. And so still doing that, which is a blast. It's amazing to play in a band with people I've known over 20 years Mm. and still be friends with and have that connection with. Um, and then I also do a band called St. Valletta. That's my own stuff. But nobody wants to listen to a band called Josh Hagquist. Like, it just doesn't roll <laughs> Why off not, the Josh? tongue. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. And I didn't want to, like, change my name like some country artist would. Like Bryson. I don't know. What would it be a country name? Bryson or something like that? So I, I picked a band name. But it's just me. I, I write all the music. And our drummer from Beautiful Mistake, he's uh, producing it. And he plays drums on it as well so um that's been awesome but it's nice to just put out my own stuff and i'm very grateful to be able to do music we put in the work in the early 2000s and we we played a lot of shows and did big tours and there was a lot of groundwork put in that has allowed me to do what i do now and have a certain amount of accessibility to putting out records physically and to a fan base that is still interested somewhat I don't take that for granted at all. And I'm, ultimately, if one person listens and they connect, I have a job. You know, my needs are met and I'm not using my art as a means to support myself. Right. So I'm very grateful to be in a position where if, if one person connects with it and they have that emotional connection and it blows their hair back, I've won. I've done what I needed to do. Because yeah. I do it for myself, yeah. ultimately. And not in a selfish way, but... I'm just, I'm super thankful. I also play in a band called Stranger Kings from Orange County. I know these sound like a lot of things. <laughs> Those but, are a lot of things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's just fun with friends and guitar, very 80s sounding. So that's what I do on my spare time. That's great. And uh, I love it. It's great. And where can people find them? 
Uh, so uh, all of those bands are on Spotify, Apple Music, on all platforms, YouTube as well, Bandcamp, which is a great website. It's free to stream, or you can purchase it, uh, whatever your heart so desires. Cool. Say all three of them again. The Beautiful Mistake, St. Valletta, Stranger Kings. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Josh. This was so much fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Love the book and really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It was, and thanks for inviting me to your store last night here in Portland. Awesome. It's great. I love speaking to your team. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Josh, for being on the show today and to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, follow, and then share this podcast with everyone you know in retail. I want to thank my producer, Roy Peretz, and Dean Albach, the audio engineer for the Retail in America podcast. Subscribe at RetailPride.com or follow me on Instagram at RetailPride to see all the details about the Retail in America tour. And with that, keep your Retail Pride strong, and I will see you on the road.